Do you ever feel like you're sitting at your desk and you have like 10 things ringing at you at one time and I'm like, I don't know which one to mute that'll mute the thing I shouldn't be muting? Does that make any sense? I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) This is how I know it's early in the morning and we've got a long day ahead of us. Okay, so (laughs) are you ready to talk about cryptocurrency? (sighs) Yes, I'm ready to have a positive attitude about crypto because... To be honest, I've been kind of negative about it lately, and I'm ready for a positive spin. Why do you feel negative about it? (sighs) Okay, let's not pretend like we pre-record this before we have the interview. Like, there's things that happen that are frightening to me that keep me up at night. Like, one man can tweet a thing, and the whole market can shift overnight. You know what I mean? Things like that are scary for me for cryptocurrency, especially when it's like white men in power that are multi-billionaires. That's frightening. He's manipulating his stock though. He's not manipulating crypto. Are you sure? I love that. I love that I'm tweeting. I'm talking about this right now. I'm talking about it, tweeting about it, whatever. Yeah. He manipulates Tesla stock. Like I believe what he tweeted at Bernie Sanders the other day is, (laughs) I can't believe you're still alive or I forgot that you were still alive. And then he said, just say the words and I'll sell some more stock. Like he... I don't know if he's actually breaking laws because he's openly stating that he like he's basically disclosing that he's selling stock, which is what he has to do legally anyways. Hmm. So I don't know. I'm still obviously there's something weird and funky about that, but it is comical to say the least. Anyways, I'm super pumped to interview Caitlin. She is knee deep in crypto. She's been in it you know, I'll call it for less than two years, I think, perhaps less than one year even, but building an incredible company that's really helping bridge the gap between financial services and cryptocurrency. Because I do think that a lot of traditional financial planners have little to no knowledge in the space. So what Mm -hmm. she and OnRamp generally are building, aside from the education aspect, which I think is so immense and so important in the space, is also this secondary piece, which is actually bringing people in by delivering more accessibility. Are you ready for this interview, Meg? I am. I'm excited. Let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the weekly podcast that deconstructs the intimidating world of finance. Hosted by Syra Rahman, VP of Finance at HM Bradley, and her partner in crime, Megan McShane, a manager at a Fortune 100 company, and supported by Stockwits. Girls Just Want to Have Funds will take on the important questions in personal finance that so many of us avoid, but also take on a glass of wine or two. Learn more, subscribe to the show, and join Syra and Megan on their no-shame adventure to financial freedom at girlsjustwanna.com. Hey team, we are here today with the lovely Caitlin Cook. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Oh, sorry. That's me. Hey, Caitlin. (laughs) (laughs) We're keeping this in. It's so nice to see you. Happy almost holidays. I know this is always kind of a rough time of year. So getting an interview in early in the morning on a Friday is probably not the easiest, but we're super excited to talk to you. All things crypto for this series. So we want to kick it off and have you talk a little bit about your heroine's journey, because we believe at Girls Just Wanna that each woman that we talk to is a heroine in their own regard. And so we want to make sure we hear your story, where you're coming from, and all the good things. 
Sure. So in terms of, you know, background in my story, so I'm a 2019 graduate, St. Bonaventure University, go Bonnies, in upstate New York, studied finance. And I think just my heroine story is just kind of continuing on and knowing myself and not really letting anyone get in the way of that has been a really consistent theme for me. I finished school early. I knew what I wanted to do with my career, going into finance, networked like crazy, and started off in asset management sales as a wholesaler. Every advisor, if they listen to this, I'm probably their least favorite person, just calling them all the time and just probably wasn't the role for me. Wasn't super enthused about it, made the most of it. And you know, everyone along the way kind of talking about, you know, what do you want to do with your career? What do you want to do with your life? Well, you know, everyone loves to give feedback on those things. And sometimes it wasn't the nicest, but you know, you just kind of take it in one ear, process it, maybe out the other if necessary, and just continue on to, you know, what I thought I wanted to do. So just was experimenting, talking to a lot of people, just seeing what good opportunities were out there, right? Because I think a lot of us like to settle. So a big part of my heroin journey, I'd kind of say is really not settling as well, which I think is a really important point. So looking around at a lot of opportunities and eventually through Twitter, which we can talk about at some point too, just got my job now on Ramp Invest, which is a crypto startup. So it's been, you know, some things take time, I'd say, but it was just like a consistent effort of, you know, putting myself out there and not really caring what other people thought or whether that path was actually right for me. And it's been, it's been really, really fun. It's been like the craziest past eight months. And it's been a lot of like growth and like self development and everything like that, that I would never have expected. So I guess just, you know, staying true to what, what I thought I should be doing and just continuing down that path, not letting anyone stop me. And it's been a lot of fun. I love that. Caitlin, I love hearing all of that. I also love hearing, it sounds like you're at the beginning of your journey, right? You've started to bounce around. You're really experimenting with different roles within the finance world and now really in the crypto world. So what would you describe as your tipping point that brought you to OnRamp that told you, you know what, I want to try out crypto? Sure. So the crypto thing happened randomly. It definitely wasn't something I was really looking for or looking into for that matter. I really didn't know much about crypto before this. It was just what I saw on Twitter, which was, you know, it was popping up every now and again at the beginning of this year and it's got bigger since, but I didn't really know much and I didn't really expect to go down this path at all. It was more just talking to different people about what I thought I wanted to do. And I think the sort of tipping point for me that I knew I needed a change was just being not excited to go to work every day. Honestly, it's, I wish it were a more exciting point than that. But I was on the phones every day. I had dial counts I had to hit. So you were just constantly making calls to people who most of the time didn't want to talk to you. It was really unrewarding. It wasn't fulfilling, right? So I think at some point there, I just realized enough was enough and I needed to make a change. And through conversations, I think I just decided I need something more entrepreneurial, right? I'd never done that before. I've been working for like not even three years now. So hadn't done it before, but thought, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there for like self-starters, right? When you're in that startup environment to kind of do more than just going through like a cog in the wheel up like this hierarchy, like every two years you switch jobs, you might get a promotion, you might move on to this, but you're still stuck in a box, right? So I think I was open to all of that. And my tipping point with like being pretty miserable in my job was just honestly getting like screamed at by an advisor one day for just doing my job. And I realized no one had to, no one has to live like that. Right. And that happened pretty often. So 
wanted to make a change again, like was super involved on like finance, Twitter of all things, met my CEO from Twitter and I was just shooting shots everywhere. So I was talking to him in a Twitter DM and said, Hey, have you ever happened to be hiring? Let me know. He answered back 30 seconds later and said, you're hired. What do you want to do? So FaceTime me that afternoon. It was done. And it just don't really know how to explain it any better with even not knowing anything about crypto at the time. But I could just feel that it was like a really good opportunity. It's like the spidey senses were tingling because I thought I thought something was right with it and, you know, decided it was like the right time to take a chance. But it wasn't even for crypto itself. And I think I've become a lot more you know bullish on all of it from first of all, from learning about it, first of all, because I hadn't really done that. And then just, you know, being involved in the space and seeing how it's developed. But that wasn't even originally like the biggest driver. It was more of like the team that was offering to have me work with them. Seems like a really great group. And, you know, you can't go wrong with actually working with people that you like. So that was a really big thing for me. I just I want to comment really quickly because I've also met your CEO and he is like magnetic. And the stuff that you guys are creating is just so interesting. And it's kind of a lead into the next question, which is, can you explain to us what OnRamp is? What is the company trying to achieve? Like, give us the whole breakdown. Sure. So OnRamp, we are an integration platform as a service. And essentially, we're providing financial advisors with education, access, and tools. We call it EAT. And all in regard to crypto assets. So we've seen from social media and whatnot and just everywhere, really, crypto has been growing like crazy. It's been around for over a decade or so, but it's really taken up a lot of speed in the past year or two. And there are a lot of clients. It was a retail driven trend, right? And still is for retail investors. Those people need someone to manage their money, right? And they may not all go to a financial advisor, but financial advisors need to have the resources and have the ability to manage those assets. And they also need to understand what crypto is, which is a big part of where we're at right now. If you look at the, you know, the traditional makeup of a a financial advisor, it's probably maybe mid fifties, white male, maybe not in that generation that was born with phones in their hands, not the most tech savvy, maybe has built their business and is very established in the traditional side and anything that disrupts that might not be something they're open to. So they sort of need to have all of this handed to them on a silver platter, I'd say, to be more open to adopting this, which is sort of what we're doing, right? It's basically just making sure they're prepared for anything. So I, I run our education platform, OnRamp Academy. That's a standalone for advisors who just want to learn about you know, what crypto is, what a blockchain is, all of those really basic questions they don't want to ask. And then kind of taking it the next step to which most people or most firms really haven't done is focusing specifically on financial advisors. How do I implement this into my practice? How do I talk to my clients about this and how can I help them? So it's focusing a lot on that to make sure that they can answer any questions that come to them. Because if nothing else, no advisor wants to have a client come into their office knowing more than they do. And right now, that's a very real possibility with crypto, just because, again, retail-driven trends, it's been a big talk in like the media and everything. It's hard not to hear something about it. So first of all, the education part. And then on the other side, just to keep it short, helping advisors, if they want to directly open accounts, crypto accounts, on behalf of their clients, they can trade for those clients on their behalf. So we make that really easy. Or we have what's called held-away accounts, which are if you and I decided we want to open an account at Coinbase on our own. Maybe we did that five years ago, but the advisor might not know about it. So first of all, having the conversation, of course, but then after that, 
how do they get visibility into those assets and like to implement that in the financial plan? It all just comes down to visibility. So the advisor might not want to manage those assets directly, but they should be able to see it, right? Because they can't give the best financial advice to your situation if they don't know what you own. So you might own crypto away from them, but we give them the ability to at least get like a bird's eye view of those accounts to like see dollar amounts of Bitcoin and whatnot if they don't want to manage it themselves. So that's in a nutshell what we do. That's really cool. I want to take like 10 steps back because I kept hearing you say the word education. And to be quite frank with you, like I'm like one of your financial advisors. I'm still trying to get educated on crypto. Syra dragged me to Bitcoin 2021 and we were sitting at a table and her and our friend Scott was like, so like, are you going to be into crypto now? I was like, no one has told me really what it is. I'm going to be quite honest with you. And Caitlin, we would love, I would love to know from you, like, what is crypto? Like, give me the basics, you know, the basics that you would educate somebody on it. Sure. So I think the first thing starts out with everyone calls it cryptocurrency. And Tyrone, actually, who you were saying, our CEO just said this the other day, but that was probably one of the biggest cardinal sins for whoever created this whole asset class to start calling it cryptocurrency. Because we at OnRamp at least like to call the, the whole area of this crypto assets, right? If you look at what a currency is supposed to do, you're not going to have a Dogecoin or a Shiba coin performing that function, at least in my opinion, right? So it's not really a currency. I think maybe when you talk about Bitcoin, you know, I refer to that as a cryptocurrency, but the whole space, crypto assets. When you look at what it is generally, internet money, if you're looking for like cryptocurrency, it's just native to the internet. And it makes sense, right? Like we've had this huge surge of the internet in early 2000s. Everything is going digital. So why wouldn't our, you know, financial system follow suit and have some form of digital money as well. And there are multiple benefits to, you know, this structure and part of it being all of this operates on what's called a blockchain. And you can get really nuanced on the technology. You don't have to. I think that confuses people really easily. But it's essentially the infrastructure that all of this, you know, all of this new currency is built on, right? And The thing that it does as a whole, it's decentralized. So there's no one body managing it, which we can talk about some of the benefits of that. Anyone with internet connection has access to this. Another important point, because it provides widespread access to the financial systems that a lot of people may not have historically had. And it lowers, you know, the time of transactions. We don't have a real-time payment system in this country, right? So think about the ability to for me to send money to Syrah, for her to send money to Megan. And we can do that much more quickly without having to go through a bank to process your transfer. It can just be directly sent between you and I and nothing else needs to be done. So that's like the general point of what it's supposed to be, right? But then we have these other other coins and things that you probably hear about all the time. Does that necessarily work as a true currency No, but it is still an investable asset, right? So it might be a very volatile asset class, but it's something that you and I can take our US dollars and invest it in like a stock, like a bond. And again, going back to the whole overarching structure of the space, I don't need to go through approvals to be able to invest my money in this. I just need to go through, depending on how you do it, you can do that like very, very easily. And I guess to try to keep it simple, but like explaining the benefits of all of this, right? So just backing up, zooming out. 
So decentralization, again, anyone with internet connection can access these assets, right? Access this network. Anyone can build in this network as well. So the ability to access all of this via the internet, it's all done in code. That part isn't something you necessarily need to know. But the reason that the space is growing so fast is because it's not gatekept. So it's not someone that works at a bank that has to build this out. I have a computer at home. I could build a new blockchain and build a new crypto asset myself. So it's very much putting power back in the hands of the individual, first of all, to be able to build all of these things, second of all, to be able to access it. Imagine in different areas of the country or in the world where people don't have the ability to walk to a bank branch. They've probably been left out of the traditional financial system because of where they are geographically from an income standpoint. They might not be able to get loans, mortgages. This system entirely kind of blows that up because you don't have to go to a bank to get approvals. You don't have to go to a branch to have an interaction with someone to get started. You can just pull out a phone. If you have one, have internet access, have a computer and be able to get involved in this. So it's sort of a, our CEO calls it a social justice movement from the access perspective, which I kind of love. We don't really talk about that quite as much, but that's sort of what crypto is. And I don't know if you want to go into, you know, DeFi as well, but that's another interesting aspect of this too. Thank you. That is super helpful. I am constantly trying to educate myself on this space and try to figure it out. So that's super helpful. What it reminds me of, Sai, is when you had me playing around and switching banks and I was, you know, transferring a big amount of money and I was like, where is it? Why isn't it in my new account? And you're like, it will be soon. And so what I hear you saying, Caitlin, in a very, very simplified term, if I wanted to give Sigh, some of my Bitcoin, or I want to transfer it into my wallets, it's almost instantaneous. So there's no middleman. I get my money when I need it, or my crypto, or whatever we want to call it. Do we call it money? Can I call it money? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. You can just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd call it crypto. But to your point, right? One thing that I didn't really mention that is just imagine. So, like you said, traditional banking system, you send your money and it's just out there. You're like, where is it? It's going to be one to three business days probably until it's transferred, you know, depending on what you're doing. And you don't know where it is in between. The other really cool thing with crypto and blockchain technology and with blockchain specifically that you need to know, it is all public. So again, all of that having internet access, you can pull up the blockchain. Every transaction that ever occurred in the history of that blockchain, you can see it. You can run what's called a node, just a history of all of the transactions on a blockchain. Go to the beginning and see literally where every individual Bitcoin, even fractions of a Bitcoin, have changed hands at different points in time. You can see the price at which they changed hands. It's insane. The amount of data that's available compared to the traditional financial system, which really just has a curtain across a lot of different areas of it, right? It's mind-blowing to me. So if you sent money, you would be able to see, did it make it to that address? Is this the address I sent it to? Address being, you know, if you wanted to send money to Syrah, it would go, hopefully it would be going to her. But you could see the price at which it went, where it is in the process of being, you know, that transaction being processed. Again, that's very, very quick. And like every bit of information associated with that transaction is public. So it may not have your name attached to it. You know, it's not data misinformation or data leaking where it has all of your your private like your name and all of your personal information out there but it shows the specific assets moving and where they're going and at what price and at what time and at what time that transaction settled so 
that's probably one of the other things that I think a lot of people don't realize with this and where the potential is, is that it just creates a lot more transparency, which I think within financial services as a whole is necessary and we could use a lot more of it. So that's another really cool part. I have a question for you, Caitlin, and it's one that a lot of my girlfriends ask me and I'm not as good at answering it. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are here. How do you respond to people saying that crypto is just one big Ponzi scheme? (laughs) So I guess I'd answer that in two parts, right? So the first part being, there are a lot of misconceptions around the crypto space. And a lot of them, you know, they're stemming from something, right? Misconceptions like this don't always come out of nowhere. But originally, when crypto wasn't really being used actively, early days, it was used in, you know, like, black market activity on the Silk Road, which has since been shut down. So that's kind of where the misconception comes from, where it being used fraudulently and whatnot. And just more recent events where you see a lot of different things popping up where people assume it's a Ponzi scheme. I would say that this is more of just like history. You know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes, I guess is the quote. But this isn't the first time that there has been an incredibly high growth space. And there's going to be a lot of attrition, a lot of people, you know, a lot of different projects or companies, not really in this case, a lot of different projects that don't work out, that fail, that a lot of people lose their money. It's not going to be fun by any means, but it's the product of a high growth space. And this is far from the first time it's happened. I look back to the dot-com bubble as well, right? Extreme run-up in valuations, tons of companies dying to get into this space. And a lot of them fell off. A lot of them ended up not being profitable or they were just trying to get their fair share of the money that was flowing to the space, maybe maybe in sort of like a Ponzi or fraudulent way, right? But after that came like the Amazons, the Microsofts, right? So it's, I would say, don't dismiss the entire space. And I have this conversation with my friends a lot as well. Don't dismiss the possibilities in the space just because you know, there's all eyes on it. It's the shiny dangly object that everyone's staring at. So naturally, there's going to be people who want to take advantage of the fact that not everyone understands yet what's going on and understands how it works and can sniff out a fake or a Ponzi scheme or a fraud. So I guess I'd say I don't think that it is personally, that probably goes without saying, but there are definitely projects in the space that are and we've seen those a couple of different times more recently in the news too, like bigger ones. And I think it's inevitable. I wish I had a better answer than that. But I also don't think that it is a reason for people not to learn about the space and to not at least try to embrace it. Just you have to be really cautious right now and be, you know, careful with what you're doing with your money and the projects that you're interacting with. I think like from an upside, because you you come at it with such an optimistic lens, which is really refreshing, to be honest. What can be really cool about it is it's really creating an economy and things that come out of it, right? It's creating your business that you work for. It's creating different ways for other people around the world to have access to certain things they wouldn't have access to. That's really compelling. But there's other things that pop up in it, and I'd love kind of like your rundown definition education on. One that comes to mind for me is DAO. I'm like, what is that? What does it stand for? And how can we try to understand it as me as a kindergartner, preschooler? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So DAO, DAOs have been talked about a lot recently too. So I'm glad you asked, but it stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Lots of big words, but it's really just, again, going back to like even the idea of crypto, bringing things online, making things decentralized so anyone can participate. DAOs are the same way in that regard because they're community-led entities. So think about 
having a business and there are rules to that business, right? To any project, any charity, they have rules. Those rules are put on the blockchain. So a lot of different functions are automated. And again, blockchains are transparent. They're public. Anyone can access these things. So it's very much out there for everyone. Makes things a lot more streamlined from that perspective. You know, if you automate a lot of organizational managerial functions, that lowers costs. You need less bodies to do that work. But it also, the decentralized part of it, it brings people together. Anyone can participate. It could be a company. It could be a charity. It could be a collective of people who are working towards a common project like the Constitution DAO. It could be an investment fund where people pool their assets and they use the blockchain to make their votes. Every person has a vote, right? So it basically takes away the hierarchy that you see within normal businesses to try to make it not too complicated. Basically, every person gets a vote. Everyone's voice is heard. Any proposal for like how money is spent, decisions made on projects being worked on, is brought to the whole group and everyone votes. The voting's done on the blockchain, so there's no like cutting corners because again, all publicly available so you can audit the information. You can't change it because blockchains are immutable. So it's just a, I think DAOs have a lot of potential for the future with like different ways that businesses can operate and streamline and not even just businesses, right? Like there are investment funds where people gather their assets and invest in different projects. They use the blockchain to vote on the, whether or not they invest money in those projects. So it's basically just bringing together the community aspect of things that's very prevalent already in the crypto space. Because again, it's global, decentralized, all of those buzzwords I've mentioned 20 times already. And you can use it for a lot of different functions, but it's kind of like a digital LLC in a lot of ways. And they can operate in different capacities, but it's all done without one CEO that could, you know, human error, right? If you have one person making decisions, it might not be the best one. There might be power hungry. You might not get the whole voice of what the group wants and come to a consensus agreement on it. So hopefully I kept that simple, but it's, there's a lot of different capabilities of DAOs, but it's really just bringing all of that online, making it more auditable, making it so anyone can join and making it be like a truly collective effort because a lot of firms and different groups like to say that they, you know, give everyone a voice and stuff, but this truly does because everyone has voting rights that can't be jumped around. I love hearing all of that about DAOs. I, I'm still experimenting with a bunch of them myself. I also got rugged for the first time the other day. So <laughs> in a DAO, which, you know, live and you learn. Same thing with the NFT land, right? Which actually is part of my next question. So we just talked a little bit about DAOs. Those are like to me, companies that are run by the employees, like fully democratized companies. I guess my that was better than I explained it. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I was honestly just rephrasing what you said. So I have a couple questions from what you were saying, though. Can you explain what immutable is? I feel like not a lot of people know what that means, and everybody talks about blockchains being immutable, but it's not something that's explained often. Yeah. So I guess in, in more simple terms, immutability just means that once data has been put out there, there's not an undo button. If you put in a trade, you know, there are multiple parts of this, but if you put in a trade on the blockchain, you can't call customer service and be like, wait, take that back because it's automatic execution. It's all done through algorithms and things. So nothing can be taken back and nothing can be edited once it's added to the blockchain. That's like what the immutability thing means. It just cannot be changed. So 
that comes down to, you know, it's good that that data on the blockchain is publicly available, but what if it can be manipulated, right? Is that part fixed? And it is mostly because, and to keep it higher level for the reasons why, basically to change any transaction on a blockchain, they're called blockchains because it's lists of transactions that are chained together, blockchain. And to change any one transaction within that sequence, you would have to undo every single transaction that came after it. And if you look at the number of transactions that happen on a blockchain, that cannot happen. And it's very difficult to do so just because I'm not a computer person, but it's all algorithms and everything is encrypted, which just means it's put in code for those who shouldn't be able to see the information they can't. The entire system of it is very you know, technical and I don't understand it to be honest with you as much on the computer side of it. But what you need to know is that anything that's put out there can't be changed. Like it's the same reason that blockchains are really difficult to be hacked. It's just there's a lot of like backend coding capabilities that make it pretty much impossible to do so. So immutability just means the data can't be changed. Caitlin, what I hear you saying is make sure you're really educated before you do anything. Like really think it through, right? I think that's kind of the basis. And I think we're Cyrus said she got rugged. I have no idea what that means, by the way. But I think like many decisions, I think it's cool that everyone has access to it. I think that's awesome. Social justice thing. Yes, I'm on board. I'm I'm an eternal optimist myself. And I believe people are good innately to my detriment sometimes. But what I'm getting at is, yes, you have access to it. Yes, you can do anything with it. But be smart about it. Educate yourself on it. Understand it better. Because at the end of the day, it might not be all of your money, but it's still an asset that you own. It's still information that you're putting out there, which can be scary. I know I get scared about shit like that all the time. So yeah, I hear you saying that. But thank you. That was a really good explanation of a lot of the terms I had. I'm like checking my boxes over here on my little notepad. So thanks. There's a lot of jargon, which makes it really intimidating. And that's like the biggest problem. I think financial services has that issue as well, where there's just a lot of words people don't understand. And I think sometimes it's like purposefully to overcomplicate things. Crypto has the same problem. So the first thing with educating people and learning yourself is just figuring out what a lot of these terms mean. Getting rugged just means that somebody talked (laughs) you into a Ponzi scheme, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> which I have now been talked into many. That's all Does that, that means. Mean, like it's- the rug was pulled out from under you? Yes, exactly. Yes. All right, I'm there. <laughs> so I land on my ass a couple times, you know? <laughs> okay. The rug was pulled out from under me as just rugged now. Everything is getting so simplified into one word. I can't keep up. I'm not cool. I mean, come on. <laughs> Ridiculous. So Caitlin, I have a question for you that's a little bit more like Caitlin focused. Do you own any crypto? And if so, like what percent of your net worth is in crypto? I do own crypto. So I own Bitcoin. I own Ethereum. I was told to buy Solana and I didn't do it when it was at under 20 bucks, which is we all have the stories of when we didn't and should have. But that one makes me sad. I, I stick to Bitcoin and Ethereum though right now. I look into a lot of others just like nature of my job, obviously, but I'm not a big like active trader. I'm probably as boring as it gets, really. I like to set it and leave it in dollar cost average. And that's about it. Because for me, I'd rather have the free time and just let my money work for itself. But I guess percentage of net worth, man, it's lower than I'd like it to be, I guess. I don't have an exact number for you. I want to invest more in crypto for sure. And honestly, I'm just lazy. So I haven't gotten around to doing it, but I need to. And for anyone listening, dollar cost average Doing that instead of buying the dip, into, especially in volatile asset classes, historically, research-wise, very beneficial. So you don't have to buy the dip. 
Can you explain what dollar cost averaging is to those of us that are listening? Yes. So it's essentially just having a schedule for how you invest instead of like being more, I know you interviewed Denise Shaw. She's great. Talking about like emotions and investing. Dollar cost averaging basically just means you have a schedule for how much money you're investing into something at like a given point, right? So I might have like a monthly dollar cost averaging schedule where I put 200 bucks in Bitcoin every month or something on this date. So it just really regiments what you're doing from an investment perspective instead of seeing, you know, you haven't invested for a while, the market's doing really well, and then you see a 10% downturn in Bitcoin. You're like, oh, I'm going to try to buy the dip and time the market. Well, that doesn't always work. And then it gets your emotions a little bit more involved. So dollar cost averaging just sort of is an attempt to eliminate that or at least to make sure that you're just regularly investing money into the market because over the long run, if you're an investor anyways, it's more of a long-term investment philosophy. But if you do that over the long run, there's, you know, at least historically has been proven to be like really beneficial. And then you're not timing the market too, because that's just really, really hard. And most people can't. Caitlin, what is something that keeps you up at night about crypto? Like, let's take a negative lens for a sec. I know it's hard to do, but yeah, what's something that keeps you up at night? It isn't hard to do. <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> well, because it goes back to just like the space is growing so fast. So like personally, right, trying to educate people, it's scary to even try keeping up with all of this. That's one hard thing just for myself. But I think another scary thing is you don't know what the what the Ponzi schemes are, right? You don't know what the if you're going to get the rug pulled out from under you because you wouldn't have invested your money if you knew that that was going to happen. So I think there's a lot of really cool developments in the space. I just hope that the people who are, you know, building out the codes and doing the actual work are, you know, I like to believe that people are good too, but not everyone actually acts that way, right? So I hope that the people that are building in the space that are doing these projects that get a lot of attention, I hope they're actually doing so in like an ethical way and not, you know, just trying to get a cash grab and disappear into the sunset and never come back with all of our money. So that part scares me just because sometimes like I'm not a software engineer. I can't look at code and say, oh, it seems like there's like a flaw in the code or something, right? Most people can't see that. So that scares me. I think about that too much because I I don't know if that's something I'll ever actually be able to fully understand. There's a lot of trust there with the the whole new developments and everything like that. So I know we're, I'm not asking myself the question, but I'm going to because from a very outside perspective it's of someone that's intimidated by this industry in general, what keeps me up at night is like Elon Musk can tweet one thing and it can change an entire industry. And that is frightening to me. Like I will liquidate all of my Tesla stock, blah, 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 or whatever, and put it all into Bitcoin or crypto. Like that's, that's, that's scary to me. Yes, social justice. Yes, equal, whatever. But that is a big man that owns a lot of money and a lot of power. That's scary to me. That keeps me up at night, to be honest. He's an interesting dude. He has such a cult-like following. They have created cryptocurrencies named after his pets. I mean, there's so many layers to the Musk story. And he's you know, obviously a legend on Twitter for some of the things he says. So we're talking about all these things that stress us all out and keep us up at night. Caitlin, do you have anything that you would say would alleviate some of it? Like what are things that you would suggest people do to solve it if there was a way to solve it? That's a good question. I don't know if it can be entirely solved, right? But 
for like a person to person basis, right? What can people do to not be as scared about this stuff? The things that there's a lot of really flashy things to learn about. And yeah, it's really fun, right? Like I think you've mentioned, Sarah, that you've gone down the rabbit hole on all of these things, but learning the basics, like do not skip that because if you don't have a good foundational understanding for something like this, you could get into bad situations very quickly. And for the normal person, if it's just buying Bitcoin or Ethereum or something, even keeping it to the basics like that on the crypto side, know the different ways that you can store your crypto, know the different options for where to buy it. The storage part's really important because if you buy Bitcoin and you know that's a blockchain that's never been hacked, it's probably the most like widely used, it was the first one. But if you don't keep it in a safe space, that could be taken it like if you do it online at least like it's susceptible to hackers and stuff right so if you don't do your homework on what the safest ways to do that are and making sure that you're on top of that you could lose your assets so know about how to store them because again the whole bringing power back to the person you and i pretty much decide on where those assets are kept it's not like where you buy a stock and you probably just have it in your brokerage account and it sits there and you don't ever have to think about it Crypto, there's a lot of different options. You get to pick. So learn about those. Learn where to buy it. And I would just say that's probably the biggest focus is like knowing what you actually can and can't stomach as an investor. It's so easy to get involved in FOMO. Like you don't want to miss out on big opportunities. And everyone might be talking about some coin on Twitter, but just dial it back. Like I know it's really hard for people, but just dial it back to like, can I take handle this volatility? Would I be okay with putting this amount of money into something and having it turn into $0? Think about everything that way in crypto. Also, I'd say you shouldn't be, you know, the education person in me, you shouldn't be investing in crypto if you don't already have like a financial plan and have savings. So get that stuff, get that personal finance stuff set up first, always. I just think people need to be a little bit more prepared on knowing what they're actually getting into beforehand. Because like I mentioned to Megan, even like learning how to send transactions, like you should do test runs with that too, right? Because if you send it to the wrong address, there's no getting it back. It's gone. You can't call customer service. So there's, I guess to stop on this rant, but there's a lot of different things that keep people up at night on this probably. And most of it can be solved through education. Honestly, it all just comes down to that. And it's a lot to boil down, but just take the time. Like you really don't want to be the person that jumps into this, not understanding and then losing a bunch of money because you're never going to forget that. And that's a hard lesson to learn. So hopefully you don't have to learn it that way. I feel that on a very, very small level, I had a Venmo situation, go to the wrong pat. And I pleaded with the guy for like four months and he never responded. (laughs) Oh no. Anyway, enough about me. Okay. Caitlin, for each series, we do kind of like a four question rapid fire to kind of wrap up this amazing interview. So the first question for you is, what advice would you give someone that was curious about buying crypto and wanted to? So back to what I just said, I guess, learning about how to buy it, learning about how to send it to other people and how to store it. Super, super important, especially the storage part. Keep those assets safe. You don't want to lose them. And then just if you're interested in buying crypto, again, the financial advisor working person in me is just like, do you actually have the risk risk tolerance for this? Have an honest conversation with yourself. Should I actually own this? If I see it go down 40% in a day, am I going to want to pull it immediately? Or will I actually leave it? So have that conversation with yourself. It's not suitable for a lot of people, which people forget. 
So have that conversation with yourself. It might not be for you, even if you want to get in on what everyone's doing. And then just make sure you have, you know, your whole personal financial situation set up already. Like make sure you have savings, make sure you're investing in like a diversified portfolio of stocks or something, hopefully ETFs, whatever, however you want to do it. Have all of that stuff set up first before jumping into this. This shouldn't be the only thing. No investment is everything. It should be part of like a broader strategy. So just always bring it back to that. Like if you're going to jump in on this, get educated, make sure it fits in within your whole plan and then go from there. Right. Okay. And if they wanted to create an NFT, what would you say? A lot of people are creating NFTs right now. I would say do research on the blockchain that you're putting the NFT on, not to get too in on that, but there are a lot of people building NFT projects out just to make a quick buck. And that, you know, doesn't really do the people purchasing those NFTs any favors. So if you're going to build out or create an NFT, actually build a community. I think that's a super important part of it because that provides long-term value to yourself as like getting money from those NFTs. And then also for the other people getting involved, the best NFTs are like the most expensive ones have massive communities run around them. Think about, I think it's like lazy lions the different crypto punks, they all have thousands and thousands of people everywhere that are like huge advocates for them. They have a community, they have a discord where they all interact. Try to do that. Don't just try to get a quick buck just because you want to be involved. Try to provide long-term value and like get people to rally around like a cool idea rather than just here's my NFT project, here's the cost, and you'll never hear from me again. Thanks for the money. Along those same lines, then, what if you had a friend that wants to start their own actual, I'm not going to call it a cryptocurrency, I'm going to call it a crypto asset. What advice would you give that friend? I guess don't just do it for no reason. You know, you see there are thousands. If you go to coinmarketcap.com, they tell you how many crypto exchanges there are, how many crypto like coins there are out there, different types. There are thousands, thousands. How many of those are actually going to end up, you know, providing value for people and not just be a meme on Twitter for a week and then disappear? Probably a lot of them will end up in being the latter. So I guess have a reason that you want to create the crypto asset. Like, I think a lot of people just want to say that they did it right now, but don't put your time and get other people's money involved in something like this if you're not trying to like actually build it out to be something. Just, you know, protect your time, protect your assets and like actually be a positive to the space, you know, don't just keep firing things out there to make a, you know, quick buck or just to do it for fun, I guess. So correlated to that, then what advice would you give to someone if they said they wanted to sell all of their crypto assets? Hopefully they're doing it at a gain. (laughs) I would say have a good reason for doing so. Right. And then just on the like, I feel like I keep going back to really nerdy answers on these things, but like, make sure you have an advisor or a tax accountant that understands how crypto works because a lot of people don't, and you're going to have different implications for like, if you make a lot of profits off of selling your crypto, that's great. But obviously that stuff is taxed. Know how that works. Know someone that knows how that works. So don't jump in and out of it. I would say like, that's probably the last thing you want to do with like just fees and like the way the market's been ripping and everything. So just have a reason for what you're doing and know someone that can actually help you out with it because you don't want to be in the situation where 
the IRS is getting more particular about people with like NFTs and crypto gains and things. You want to be ready for that or have someone at least who knows what they're doing with that because I sure don't. So find someone who does know. (laughs) That's honestly, it's like a running joke in my household because I just keep getting bills from the IRS because I did my my crypto accounting incorrectly via Coinbase in 2016, 2017. Anyways, this has been such a wealth of information, Caitlin. I am so appreciative of your time today. I feel like we have Crypto 101 put together now for all of our listeners I have one last question for you, and that is where can people find you and OnRamp online and in the world? Awesome. And first of all, thank you for having me. This was so fun. And I love your podcast. I've been listening for a while. So this was great. Girls Just Want to Have Funds was on my graduation cap for college. So meant to be maybe, I don't know. But I would say first place. So for OnRamp, we're on social media everywhere at OnRamp Invest on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn, OnRamp Academy, the education platform. I do a lot of free content there that anyone can access on Twitter, on LinkedIn. So that's out there as well. Website is onrampinvest.com. Academy's website, we have a free blog if people want to read it. It's at academy.onrampinvest.com. And then you can just find me on the Bird app. My username is Dead Kate Bounce, Kate C A I T. <laughs> The bird app. I was like, wait, hold on. (laughs) Twitter. Got it. (laughs) Caitlin, this has been awesome. I feel like I've learned a lot in the last 45 minutes from you in general, and I have more to learn. So thank you for for being open and willing and answering a lot of my kindergartner questions because I know I'm not the only one. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you both. I'm in a weird voice mode. I have like a weird cold right now. So my voice is all coarse in addition to being nasally. So I'm like, "Er, er." it happens. Super educational. I think I got a lot of good foundational background on cryptocurrency that I've kind of read, but haven't really talked to people about. So that was nice. Yeah, she really, Caitlin is incredible at breaking things down and I can see why she is leading the charge on the educational aspect at OnRamp because I think right now it's so important for people to understand exactly what it is. And despite the fact that in the microcosm of finance and fintech, so many people are well aware of the terminology and the gist of it, I highly doubt that the vast majority has actually transacted in any form of a crypto asset. I'm shifting my verbiage here. Thank you, Caitlin. And in addition to the fact that I don't think anyone has really... Like the greater population has not messed around with this beyond, you know, pushing by in their stonks app. Stonks. Yeah. No, I'm with you on all of those things. I think education is super important. I think what I've learned over the past year is education and finance in general is important. And it goes for crypto too. You know, you can pretend you're a day trader all day, but at the end of the year, when the IRS comes knocking, you might see some charges. So maybe be a little bit more mindful about it. That's kind of the crux of what I'm getting from this information other than, you know, all the foundational, what is crypto, what is DAO, what's an NFT, yada, yada stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of people that probably made a bunch of money because the market has been progressively going up, particularly since March of 2020. I think a lot of people are learning what ordinary income is, which is when you have capital gains. Mm. On things you bought and sold in under a year. Mm. 
So hopefully everybody didn't spend all of their earnings right away, right? Anyways, that's Tax Ira coming out. That's for another time. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it. Thanks for joining us. Head on over to girlsjustwanna.com where you can subscribe to the show, follow Megan and I on social, or even text us your important financial questions. And remember, there's no shame in asking anything. We'll see you next time on Girls Just Wanna Have Funds. Oh,